0: We are recording. Hey, everybody! Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. My name is Eric Nemchak, alongside steven trinkwald and we finally have free agency action for the 2022 off season. Stephen, are you excited to talk about this? I'm excited.
1: I'm excited just to talk. It's been so long since we've <laughs> done a podcast. I I haven't spoken since, so um, I'm excited to get going.
0: Yeah, I, I apologize to our, our dozen listeners who uh, who listen faithfully. Thank you, by the way. Thank you for everyone who listens. Um, we did not have content for a couple weeks there, but that was that was on purpose. You know, we were we wanted to get some concrete details um, on free agency happenings and, and whatnot. And uh, we've got plenty of them now, so uh, let's dive in.
1: Yeah, let's start with the big three-team trade that sends Diamond to Shields to the Phoenix Mercury, Julie Alamon, and a 2023 first round pick from Phoenix and Bria Hartley, as well as a hall of picks to the Indiana Fever. Uh, let's start with the, the Phoenix side of this. Diamond De Shields moving to Phoenix uh, and signing for a two-year protected deal that also preceded Tina Charles deciding to uh, take a one-year deal with Phoenix. How are you feeling about uh, this Mercury kind of new-look team coming off a finals appearance? Uh, perhaps an unexpected finals appearance in some ways. How are you feeling about this, this new team? Certainly more depth and, and more playoff-caliber players, right?
0: a lot more depth and a lot, uh, more higher end talent, basically. Um, I think the message here is clear. Phoenix wants to get back to the finals. and They want to win it all. You know, um, the, the Shields trade, you know, I think the, uh, the two year thing kind of, that kind of signals uh, a little bit more for the future, but acquiring Tina Charles for only one year and not really that much money, uh, relatively speaking, 108,000. Um, I think those two kind of go hand in hand. You know, we, we figure Tina Charles is in the twilight of her career. She wants to win a championship. You know, one of the greatest WMA players ever to not win a championship. And we figure Diana Taurasi. we say this every offseason, but I think it, it, it might be true this year. Um, this this might be her last go around as well, right? So I think there is some a, a level of uh, a mutual respect between the two parties where they're willing to basically sacrifice a salary. And maybe, we'll see what happens, but sacrifice the on-court the um, lion's share of, of the usage, if you will. In order to get that ultimate goal, which is the WNBA Championship, um, I think right. I, I think the hype is is definitely warranted. I mean, you have some enormous names on this Phoenix team. We've already seen the term uh, seen the term super team thrown out a little bit, and you know, I mean, there are pros and cons to it. But I think it's safe to say that this Phoenix team is going to be better than it was last year, right?
1: Um. Or not. I'm. I mean, maybe. I certainly can see the argument for it, right? One thing I want to ask you right off the top, like this is, you know, you mentioned Tina Charles wants to win a championship. Is this the best situation for Tina Charles to win a championship?
0: Well, I mean, she could have, well, let's, let's look at the fact here. The fact is she signed for a lot less than she could have gotten, right? You figure she could have gone to Vegas or Atlanta or maybe some other team and gotten the full bag. Um but she took a significant discount to stay with the, to sign with this Phoenix team.
1: I think she would have she, made... she very clearly wanted to play with these players, I think.
0: Yes. Yes. Maybe she could have gone to Seattle and taken less money. You know, I think she would have been a good fit in Seattle. And those Seattle has some pretty darn good players as well. Um like like the fit is is, is not perfect, is it?
1: Yeah, it's um you know, th- I think there's reasons to be very, very optimistic, and then reasons to, you know, think that this is not really an ideal situation for these, I guess, now five uh, core players of, of what this team is kind of building around for at least for this final uh, year that that Diana Taurasi is under contract. There's a lot to like about this, though. Obviously, you know, like you're saying, there's, you know, you can pretty much now get 40 minutes of of good. Play, you know, good scoring, good offensive production from the big position. Brittany Griner and Tina Charles probably will not play, you know, mostly together. I, I would imagine they'll they'll play together a fair amount, but you'll also always have one of those two players on the court um, in in games that they're both available. You could do the same thing with with Skylar Diggins Smith and Diana Taurasi. Um, you know, Diamond DeShields fits somewhere in this kind of uh, staggering as well. Although I think. You know, she's give, she's give, roster. yeah, given her <laughs> skill set and, and kind of what she's been able to do and not do, you know, not not so much a player that you're really constructing offensive lineups around, right? But I think the good thing about this signing is that you know Brianna Turner, uh, a very good player in her own right, like she doesn't work any worse with Tina Charles than she does with Brittany Griner, maybe honestly better, maybe a little bit, right? And then when you pair the two together, yeah, you're not pairing Brittany Griner who you know, we've said it before many times is maybe the best offensive player in basketball, right? Like what Brittany Griner does to defenses, no other teams do to defenses. And now, even if you, you're you not pairing her with an ideal, you know, just kind of floor spacing power forward, who's going to can, you know, 40% of her threes and take, you know, 50% of her shots from three. Tina Charles is still A player who you're not going to to leave alone right like you're I guess all of my concerns about how this works you know it still leads me to to the end point of well if it means that Brittany Griner isn't getting constantly double teamed if you have to play one-on-one defense with against Brittany Griner then it probably makes up for the the defensive inefficiencies and the the lack of fit you know and you know all the other things that you can kind of poke holes at for this roster construction.
0: I definitely agree there. One thing we were talking about a lot during last year's Bay uh, finals was that they were doubling off that Chicago was doubling off Brianna Turner always like constantly doubling off Brianna Turner to double Brittany Griner. You cannot double off Tina Charles um, unless obviously she's, she is playing with Brianna Turner, but um, in, in, in a Griner Charles front court, you're not, you're not doubling off a of Tina Charles. I don't think um, also, If Charles and Griner are both on the floor at the same time, you just don't have that. We also talked about, you know, make Brianna Turner make a decision. Make her dribble the basketball. Make her shoot the basketball. I think you'd be a lot less, you don't want Tina Charles, You, you don't say, okay, make Tina Charles beat us, right?
1: All those situations where Brianna Turner was, you know, kind of catching the ball off of a double team at the free throw line and having to make a dribble and a decision, Almost all of those went poorly for Phoenix, and now that's Tina Charles.
0: That's not going to happen anymore, right?
1: Also, I think, you know, Charles, she's just
0: a much better passer than Turner is. Uh, over the years, we've seen Charles really develop. Of course, Charles was demanding a lot more defensive attention in these scenarios, so you're going to have cutters and, and open shooters open out there. But Tina Charles, like I said, we gave Turner flat for poor decision making. I don't think that's going to be an issue here. And I think if, if Griner is doubled or whatever, I think Charles moves pretty well without the basketball. Granted, we haven't seen that materialize that often because she de- she demands so much defensive attention. But she's also a pretty good rebounder, at least offensive rebounder. So I can see it where, you know, if, if if Griner is doubled, Charles makes a timely cut to the basket or she's open for an offensive rebound because you're, you're busy putting two, two bodies in Brittany Griner. So I think the fit offensively, at least, it's not perfect, but it's pretty darn good.
1: Yeah and you know we have been critical in the past of some of Tina Charles mid-range you know a heavy reliance on mid-range jumpers those mid-range jumpers if if she's catching it you know if she's kind of taking you know Candace Dupree type shots now like those are not the same type of mid-range jumpers you can f- expect those to fall at a higher clip because they're not going to be over two defenders you know
0: yeah, they're still better than a turnover
1: Yeah and we did see an increase in Three-point efficacy last season, you know, five-and-a-half threes per 36 minutes from Charles. Let me ask you a question. She took about a quarter of her field goal attempts from three last season. Do you think that will go up or down in 2022? I think it'll go up. I don't know. I feel like she maybe, I mean, we know so little about how Phoenix is going to to play, I guess, in, in 2022. But I could see it kind of going back to, you know, under 20% in her kind oh, of...
0: Hold on, hold on here. I, I have something to say about that. Maybe if, if she's sharing the floor with Brittany Griner, it'll go up. But if she is sharing the floor with Brianna Turner, she I don't want to see her out there shooting threes.
1: Yeah, and she I'm sure, you know, the way I kind of looked at this is, is there's 80 minutes of playing time between the power forward and the center. I imagine all three of these players are going to probably play between like 24 and 30 minutes a game. Probably the two stars closer to 30, obviously. Turner, you know, around the 24 number, which is you know, kind of relegating what what she does a little bit, but there's going to be plenty of opportunity for all three of these kind of trios to to see the time. And I wanted to ask you, like, which which pair of bigs do you think kind of fits the most intuitively between Griner and Turner, Griner and Charles, Charles and Turner? You know, which one of those pairs, I think, do you think makes the most sense? Is it just the two stars?
0: I think offensively it's the two stars because defensively, I'm not convinced that a, a Charles Griner front court will be any good. Obviously, defensively, Brianna Turner. I is, mean, we
1: we can pretty firmly say that it will be bad. I definitely. imagine.
0: Yeah, not not great. It'll it'll be not great. And we also know that offensively, a Griner Turner front court is not ideal. So taking what we know versus what we don't know, I'm really interested to see a a, a Tina Charles Brianna Turner front court. It may not be the best offensively, but I think. Defensively, Brianna Turner can cover for a lot of Tina Charles' weaknesses in a way that she doesn't need to for Brittany Griner. You know, Charles moves a little better than Griner. Charles is a better rebounder than Griner. So, I don't know. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it probably does end up still being, like, you know, just the, the two stars. But like you're saying, I'm I'm really, really interested in what those Charles-Turner lineups are going to look like because I, I think they— those two complement each other, I think, better than Griner and, and Brianna Turner do. Even though, you know— I think in a vacuum, Brittany Griner is just a better player than Tina Charles and, and one of the best players in the league, of course, um, and overcomes those, you know, incongruities of how those two players fit. But when you think of just kind of like naturally what those those players do, I think uh, Charles and Turner do make a little bit more sense. And I think those those lineups, you know, with one of the two guards and maybe uh, Diamond to Shields, like those lineups could actually absolutely kill second units.
0: The second unit thing is another thing I, I think is really important here. Um, Tina Charles for the most of her career obviously goes up against starting lineups and she commands a lot of defensive attention. Uh, if I'm if I'm a fan of an opposing team, I don't want to see my bench going up against Tina Charles. That's that's gonna be a problem.
1: Now, here I guess is is my concern. You know, when you get to a five game series, how much of, of what you gain by adding a real offensive force at power forward to pair next to Brittany Griner, you know, which you, we all love Brianna Turner, but like you mentioned, it, it turned into kind of a problem in the the WNBA finals, the way Chicago smartly played off of Brianna Turner and kind of made her do things with the basketball. That's Tina Charles now, but how much of that just kind of turns into Diamond to Shields? Like, do those same issues just kind of reappear with a player in Diamond to Shields who defenses are going to continue to sag off of and seems to you know, perhaps have lost her ability to be a, an efficient offensive player, especially in, in high leverage moments.
0: I don't think it's as big of a deal because the Shields at least plays on the perimeter where Turner does not. And I think the Shields, for, you know, for all her deficiencies over the past couple seasons, she does give Phoenix something that they haven't really had recently. And that is a, a really good athlete on the wing who can go out and get transition buckets. So if I'm a Phoenix fan, I'm hoping that those two things at least kind of offset. You know, last year in the finals, I mean, Whoever Phoenix was playing out there, they weren't really getting guarded that tightly either. Sophia Cunningham can at least shoot, but you know she's not going to be le- just taking twenty shots a game from us. She's not going to be letting it rip out there, you know. So I don't think it's as big of a deal as you know both bigs just completely ignoring Brianna Turner.
1: Well, let's move on to the the Chicago element of this trade. They essentially gave up their first round pick this year, which is I believe number seven, right, Eric? and then their first round pick next year in exchange for Julie Alamon and Phoenix's first round pick next year. So they're giving up one first round pick this year in this draft and betting that, you know, maybe they end up with a better record than Phoenix next year, which they may, for for Julie Alamon's services, which I think, I mean, I love this deal for Chicago, Eric.
0: Yeah, I love it too. I was really excited to hear about this as a Sky fan. Um, let's let's address the elephant in the room first. Um, there was a report about Courtney Vandersuit possibly sitting out the season uh, because UMMC of is offering her to is offering her a lot of money to do so. Uh, I don't know if that's if that's true or not. I don't know how legitimate that is. To me, that 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 almost strikes me as just like a like a power play by Vandersuit's agent just to get her more money from this guy. But let's say in that case, let's let's just say it is true. Um, if so, Julie Allman is a lot better than any other stopgap point guard this guy would be able to acquire. I think the Sky would probably have to, you know, like overpay somebody, like for basically be, be strong armed into into giving out a, a contract they might not want to do. Alamond is is a really good young player on a, a very cheap contract, an astoundingly cheap contract relative to her skills. If Suit is not sitting out, then Alamond becomes maybe the best backup point guard in the league, and also the Sky gain a lot of backcourt versatility. You know, you could play her at the two when quickly sits out. Um, just for shooting and, and, and playmaking, make her a a very, very good offensive player. We, we talk about this a lot on our our top 25 players under 25 that we like to do every year. So regardless of, of what happens with Vandersloot, we don't know yet. Chicago's going to get a point guard entering her prime. You know, Allman turns 26 years old this summer, who in her brief WMB stint in 2020 proved to be an elite shooter. You know, some of the transition numbers are kind of weird. Like she only scored five points on 13 transition possessions. But, you know, if she plays for a team that isn't Indiana, I think that'll regress to a realistic number a little bit
1: yeah it's it's a lot easier to get out and transition when you're not playing for the worst defense of all time
0: that's that's very true that's very true um also it answers the question you know who are this guy gonna draft this year hey man is this guy fit i i love it when my team doesn't have any draft picks because i can just sit back and relax um i'm pretty sure i think it's safe to say that almond is going to be better for the sky than whoever they would have picked number seven this year
1: so, while while also being less expensive for a team while that needs being,
0: inexpensive players, that's another thing. Some of these see, salary numbers are, are kind of weird when you really look at it. Um, it's roughly about an eight uh, an eight thousand dollar difference. So if it if it's true that you know Varnestude is unhappy with the amount this guy can offer her, they can give her a little more now. You know, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know what's going on behind the scenes with the negotiations and all that stuff. But yeah, I mean, if you can get a, a an established player like Alman who can be a factor both. Now and in the future, while saving cap space, how is this not a great deal for Chicago?
1: They get a player who, you know, maybe Alamon and Courtney Vandersloot wouldn't aren't a great fit playing together. You know, if you're thinking of Alamon as a third guard, but she's she's a great offensive player, a, a player who absolutely can provide very valuable floor spacing. is a great passer. You know she she does get dribble penetration, but not necessarily to kind of finish at the rim. You know she does kind of like to you know gnash under the hoop, and and re- she's really kind of penetrating to pass, much like Courtney Vandersloot a lot of the times. Um, but you know those that pairing together, you know defensively, kind of leaves a lot to be desired. But nevertheless, like Alamon is, like you said, a better player than they could expect to get in the first round. Probably, you know honestly, a better player than than Diamond De Shields has given Chicago in, in 2020 and 2021 certainly doesn't have the shield, the ceiling, the shielding the ceiling of diamond to shields, but has, you know, is better than that version that we've seen the last two years. Whether she fits better, she does fit better for sure. Even for a team that desperately kind of is, is very thin at the wing at this point. Um, but you know, giving up a first round pick, saving money and, and getting a, a really, really quality player who can contribute in playoff games, during this, you know, kind of the last year, possibly, of this two-year window, and also is, is young enough to maybe be a long-term contributor for this team for the years that she's going to come over. I mean, just a really great piece of business, I think. Terrific piece of business.
0: I'm just, as a Sky fan, and I'm, I, I promise I'll, I'll hold back from my perspective after this, as a Sky fan, I am just really excited, you know, to have a, a, a potential answer as uh, what happens next year. What happens if Vandersloot leaves? What happens when Vandersloot retires? Because that day is going to come uh, eventually. I mean, having Julie Allman penciled in there in, in the prime of her career is—it's—it's it's very. Um, how, what do I want to say?
1: Comforting. I comforting. mean, she, she's yeah, not yeah. you know an all-league player, but she's she's a a very no, quality player.
0: She's a solid answer to those questions, you know.
1: So let's move on to the uh, the Indiana part of this trade, where they take back Bria Hartley from Phoenix. They get Chicago's first round pick this year. As we mentioned, that's number seven. Uh, they get Chicago's first round pick next year. They get um, a later second round pick this year, number 20, and then a, a second round pick next year that'll probably be kind of in the mid to, to late second round as well. I believe that's also from Phoenix. So they now have the second, seventh, and tenth picks in this upcoming draft, as well as, you know, a couple you Know a second rounder and a third rounder, and the picnic ne- picks next year as well. What did you think of the Indiana part of this? You know, taking on Bria Hartley, dishing out Julie Alamon, and taking four picks in the process.
0: Well, um, I love it, and here's why. Let, let's let's lay down a couple things first. That I think we could agree upon number one, the Fever will be bad this year, they are not going to field a competitive roster by a long shot, right? They, they're probably, despite what Tamika Catching says about not wanting to be in the lottery they will in all likelihood be in the lottery again. Other part, no big name free agent wanted to play there. I mean, I think that's that's pretty clear, that's pretty clear why. Um, so they, were, they, they basically struck out in free agency unless something weird happens. So rather than fill out the roster with expensive veterans on protected salaries like they did last off season, they can now basically fill it out with young, cheap players through the draft who may or may not turn out to be any good, but they can at least be developed.
1: You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean this is in my opinion, you know, this is the type of moves that this team should be making, especially, you know, you mentioned that that they, you know, no free agents want to go there. They should be kind of trying to get younger, but they they still have, you know, a roster full of veterans, you know, per, perhaps, you know, in a way that you could poke fun of, but this because is of what not, they
0: did last year, yeah.
1: Right, but this is not, you know, like an aimless. This is not the the 2020 Liberty team that's gonna field seven or eight rookies. You know they. It's not
0: scorched earth now. Yeah,
1: exactly. The, you know, the, there's this is not. Oh, will these players understand how to be professionals like this is still a team with a lot of veterans you know Jontel Lavender um, I think is probably in the top 10 percent of players you want in the locker room by all accounts you know she's a a, a great pro Um, so this is not some you know where you kind of have to worry about the culture of having all these young players I guess all together is what I'm saying so um, you know Bria Hartley probably isn't going to help them win games you know their veterans for the most part probably aren't going to help them win games Uh, I imagine the ne- next season uh, after, you know, Hartley and Mitchell contracts are, are up, you know, this team might look a little bit different, but... Um, that's the cost of making a move like this, is to take on a big contract, you know? And Rhea yeah, exactly. Hartley,
0: yeah, her contract is is a lot of money, but it's gone next year anyway, so who cares?
1: Yeah, exactly. You're not kind of limiting what you can do in future seasons by making this move. It's, it's a one-year deal, so I think that's, you know, just from, like, you know, the asset accumulation part of the business... You know, this is as good as you can do for Indiana, in, in my opinion. So uh, it's a, a really great move, especially, you know, coming off the kind of debacles of their recent lottery picks, you know, with, with Cox and Gondrazik already being gone from that organization to have three firsts in this coming draft, including the number two pick in, in what is by all accounts a two-player draft. You know, things are looking better for Indiana than they were a couple days ago, I think. I think, you know...
0: There's there's a lot of t- people are poking fun at the fever like well why are they acquiring more draft picks if they can't draft I think that's the wrong way to look at it, um,
1: it's, it's all about bites at the apple
0: bites at the that's that that or, or, or dart to throw at the dartboard right yeah I like that analogy better um I mean the other option is to overpay people in you know, free like what else are you doing with that cap space and given the trajectory of this of this franchise I would much rather see them swing and miss on a couple few on, on a couple draft picks than lock up more over the hill veterans on guaranteed contracts in, in my opinion it's up to the coaching staff now the catchings and the front office they did a good job with this now it's up to well i mean they still need to draft the, the right talent of course but after they do that now it's up to the coaching staff to basically carry out this this rebuild because that's what this is the team is rebuilding um Brea hartley's on this team for one year i don't want to see her playing 34 minutes a game if I'm a Fever fan, because that's not going to do anybody. Um, But I mean, actually giving minutes to the players, like actually developing the players you draft, which they haven't done recently. So yeah, I think it's up to the coaching staff. The GM, the the front office went all in here. I think it's the right approach. Now we need to see that approach um, get carried out on the court.
1: All right, let's move on to uh, the Seattle Storm, who have tied up a lot of loose ends. You know, there's still some things to be figured out. Um, But let's start with Brianna Stewart, a unrestricted free agent, signing a one-year protected deal for the upper maximum, as well as, you know, when you combine that with Jewel Lloyd, signing a two-year fully protected Supermax deal as their core player. Um, You lock up Jewel Lloyd. Jewel Lloyd takes up all of her years of core service, which is great. Um, But this also opens up the, the possibility that has been discussed heavily that Brianna Stewart will be or is set to be an unrestricted free agent next offseason unless the Storm trade Jewel Lloyd. So a, a lot to kind of consider there, but also uh, Mercedes Russell signing her three-year protected deal, um, bringing in Brianna January, and then of course the trade that we'll get to. Uh, but, but where do you want to start here?
0: Okay, so at first glance, this um, this strikes me as just we got one more shot to run it back. Let's let's do our best. Um, I don't like we don't we were kind of shying away here on this podcast from talking about things that haven't really been official yet. I think it's safe to say that Sue Bird we will be back in a Seattle Storm uniform for one more season. And I'm guessing that's kind of what happened in negotiations. You know, telling Brianna Stewart, hey, you know Sue has one more year. We have experienced winning uh, winning championships with you and Sue Bird and Jewel Lloyd let's try for one more and then see and then see where we are at next offseason. Same goes with Jewel Lloyd. I think it is interesting that that Lloyd got the two-year deal and Stewart only got the one, but um you know,
1: I think well, we well I think to... the one-year deal was certainly Stewart's choice.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she wants to experience uh unrestricted free agency and I think we all like to talk about the possibility of Brianna Stewart going to New York next offseason, but I just need to say a lot can happen between uh, behind the scenes between now and next offseason. So much of what's reported um, and so much of what's not reported, there are deals that are discussed every day that just like don't happen, you know. So looking at this now, th- that's what this is. I mean, they're running it back. That's I think that's pretty clear.
1: Yep. Um. And they are reshuffling kind of the the peripherals uh, of you know their their rotation. Uh, I did want to kind of before we get to the new players talk about Mercedes Russell. You know, what, what did you kind of think about this signing? Three years, fully protected, uh, the same range of, you know, annual value that we saw from the Steph Dolson and Natalie Chanwa signings. I mean, I, I guess my big question is like, does this speak at all to their confidence in the the development of, of Ezzy Magbegor as kind of like, you know, that fifth player in, in closing lineups uh, against the best teams, you know, as, as they're kind of, I, I I'm not it... sure this is a contract you sign if you think that Ezi's going to be there this season.
0: Yeah, I mean that's a lot of years and the guaranteed stuff. I mean the the salary. I mean it is what it is, but that combined with the guaranteed stuff and and, and the years, um, it could speak to their confidence in in Magberger. It could speak to their confidence in Magbiger playing for them every year. You know Australia's status as a as one of the better programs in the world internationally. That's that's always a, um, something to consider as well.
1: But Eric, correct me if I'm wrong, but I do feel like you know the the COVID year aside, uh, whereas he actually you know did play but a lot of other Australians did not come over you know the Australian players do seem to be a little bit more reliable WNBA uh mainstays than like French players say
0: they do but i mean i think it's a case by case basis because you look at what's going on with team australia now uh with Liz Cambage's sta- status being i mean a, a total mess let's let's keep it let's keep it 100 there Magregor is a player who australia i think is really keen on on making their future uh, if that makes sense so you know i mean i think this is a this is a case of if you, you need to have front-court depth, you need to lock up your front-court depth. And Russell, you know, for her limitations, she does have a fair amount of strengths as well, and they have experienced some success with Russell as their starting center. Is it championship-caliber stuff? I don't know. But where else would they be getting that front-court depth from?
1: Yeah, that, that's a fair question to ask. And, you know, I, I think this is a, a perfectly reasonable decision for, for Seattle to make. I think this is, you know... Mercedes Russell has been a very, very good player, especially in, in 2021, you know, there was, uh, the, the campaign out there for her to win most improved player. And she certainly, I think improved a lot, especially within her, uh, her finishing and her finishing package and kind of what she's able to do with the basketball on the move, kind of going towards the rim, but also being able to kind of take advantage of smaller players in the post. Uh, it, she certainly surprised me at moments with her offensive, uh, improvements, but this also does kind of, I think, go against the grain of, of really what has been winning WNBA championships the last four seasons, with which is the ability to play five out on both ends, players that are able to to play on the perimeter defensively and stretch the floor offensively, you know, for all of Mercedes Russell's gifts. She's, she's a paint-bound center, right? She's more in the traditional mold.
0: She is. I agree with you 100% on all that. But again, I ask you, what was the alternative?
1: Yeah, I think, I guess the alternative was as a restricted free agent, you know, see what else is out there. See if that number comes in a little bit lower. And if it's something that's too high, you, you make that bet on Ezie Magbegor kind of being your, your starting center moving forward. But I mean, as for all her gifts in the WNBA, she can stand out there, but you know, you watched her play against the Chicago ain't, sky ain't like Candace is and guarding her from three point line. So, right, right. Um, so that's definitely a fair point. And I think she has uh, Mercedes Russell. That is she's earned her, you know, she's earned this team's faith in her. I think that she can be one of their foundational pieces, you know, not one of their stars, but but a very solid fourth starter, I think. Okay,
0: yeah, that, that, those are basically my thoughts.
1: Okay, let's move on to um, the, the Breon January signing. Um, this for, uh, it's a one year deal and January announced in the press release that this will also be her final year in the WNBA, which is too bad. I think she probably has a few more years to give if she wanted to, but good for her for, you know, riding off into the sunset. What did you think about this deal?
0: I like it. I like a lot for both parties. Um, I think the Storm, if there's one type of player they're really lacking, I think it was somebody who they could just throw on the opposing team's best perimeter scorer and not worry about it. You know what you're getting from Brienne January on defense, and that is she is going to hustle her butt off every single second she's out there. She's going to be really, really physical um, with and without the basketball, or on an, on the ball handler and, and, and on um, off-ball players. And you can also now not worry about Jewel Lloyd needing t- to defend the opposing team's best perimeter scorer. I think you know we saw a kind of an extended shooting slump from Jewel last year, and she has been prone to those in the past as well. If this move can save Lloyd the wear and tear and basically conserve her energy for more offensive output, I'm all for it. Because January is a player, like I said, you know she she relishes that role of being a physical defender and, and taking the um, the top defensive assignment. And that's something that the storm that they needed. So I think it's a great deal.
1: Yep, me too. I think she's a near perfect, I would say, third guard for this team. I think you know a perfect third guard probably gives you a little bit more offense than than January does. But she'll, I think she she'll probably play a little bit more point guard, right, than she has in past years. Um, You know, playing alongside Jewel Lloyd, you know, on any time that Sue Bird, you know, we we know the Sue Bird maintenance program. She's probably not going to play thirty uh, 30 plus games this year. Um, but you know, she can shoot the three. We wish her usage maybe went up a little bit higher because, uh, the percentage is is always really, really high. She'll, she'll give you a, you know, a record scratch every now and then, but her, her defensive chops, you know, um, it's a great fit i mean this is i i really love this one i i do um like i said maybe you wish for a player that had a little bit more you know epiphany prince type offense in her uh you know some of that could just create a shot but i mean you have lloyd and, and stewart and bird and i i imagine uh january is going to spend a, a fair amount of time with all those players on the court um I think, you know, the, the tail end of the January discussion does kind of wrap up with the, the rest of what they did here, which is uh, trading Katie Lou Samuelson in the number nine pick to Los Angeles in exchange for Gabby Williams. This is a move that um, I was not a fan of, Eric, from Seattle's perspective, I should say.
0: I could talk myself into it, but I'm not sure how much better it makes the storm. For one, I'm not sure why they gave out that pick. Um I think now they're going to have to—I mean, this might have happened anyway, but I think they're going to need to um, cut Epiphany Prince to at least save that salary. But, I mean, if it's a t- if you're on a team that you're running it back, you know, you, you pretty much—you you pretty obviously have one year left with this core, and then the rest of it is totally up in the air. Do you want to be just, just giving away draft picks like this? Granted, it wasn't the the highest draft pick in the class. But... I
1: do think they probably would have had a hard time affording to keep this pick on roster this year, though, so— they could
0: draft internationally, though.
1: Yeah, they could have for sure. That's a great there point.
0: There aren't a ton of international prospects that it would have taken there, but I mean that's always a possibility. You've seen them do that before with uh, drafting uh, Kitilaxa, um a couple of years ago, but but anyway, um, I'm not sure. My my main question here is what's Gabby's role going to be on this team? Is she going to maybe replace Kennedy Burke as that athletic playmaking defender? You know, but what is she going to give you offensively, and how does she fit with the core of this team? Because you know, yes, she's playing really well overseas again but every everything that Gabby has done in the WNBA suggests that she is going to be a player that's just ignored by opposing defenses. And I don't know if Seattle...
1: And, and that's being reflected in even in her, you know, first Sopron where, you know, she's allegedly kind of this this offensive engine in EuroLeague Gabby, you know, she's at 46...
0: One of the worst, that's one of the worst offenses in EuroLeague women, by the yeah, way. Yeah, she,
1: so. she's at 46% true shooting. She's shooting 27% from three. So it's it's not even really like a a Katie Lou situation where, you know, the shooting numbers are there and you're just waiting for it to translate. Like she's, she's been a poor shooter over there this season as well. 43% from two. I think actually the two point shooting is, you know, with WNBA spacing, maybe we see that increase uh, a little bit, but you know, it's hard to with the WNBA resume and and the poor shooting overseas, it's hard to kind of see that really turning around and, you know, I think to answer the question of what the role is, it's she does definitely improve their team athleticism, right? Like she yes. gives them a very athletic wing option who can uh, nominally defend a few positions. You know, she's a, a decent passer for her, you know, for a wing. I, I don't really think as, and you know better than anyone, that, you know, a backup point guard role is, is necessarily going to turn out good offense for the Storm. But, you know, I, I, I just think... This team will probably try to, I imagine she'll be there starting three. She'll start a lot of games for them. I'm sure Noelle Quinn will try to close games with Gabby until, you know, it just proves untenable offensively. They'll probably get away with it just like they have in years past starting or closing games with Jordan Canada and kind of three guard alignments. Um, but, you know, they just re-signed Steph Talbot to a training camp contract. They have Brian January, like, Gabby Williams, I think, in my opinion, is is the third best option to be that third wing of those three players in closing lineups.
0: I think we both love Steph Talbot, and I think we're both really high on her returning to the Storm, right? Um,
1: I mean, when uh, you have this level of star players, you you just need a low usage player who can stand yeah. there and be respected, and that is Steph Talbot, and it's not Gabby Williams. That's that's a way a good way of putting it. I mean, there's there's a lot more to kind of talk about. With the storm, but I think we should wait and maybe until some of those things are are official before we kind of get into them. Think that's fair? Yeah, that's fair. Let's wait. Okay, uh, so let's talk about the Connecticut Sun. Just a, a couple of things on the docket here: Jonquel Jones signing a two-year deal, lower than the full supermax contract, um, but two years to kind of get her. Years of core service done and hit true unrestricted free agency as quickly as possible, which will be between her age 29 and 30 season. So, you know, still plenty of uh, um, time for, for Jonquel Jones right in the, the prime of her career and her taking that that decent haircut on her maximum earnings uh, allowed the Suns to bring in another six-figure player. And that Liz? six-figure player is uh, Courtney Williams returning on a one-year fully protected deal. Um, how did you feel about this one, Eric, given kind of what, what the Sun options were and, you know, who Courtney Williams has been in her two years since leaving the Sun?
0: I mean, okay. <laughs> like it, the, the funny thing about this is it, like, it's not like this is some unknown quantity. Like we have seen Courtney Williams and John Cole Jones and, and all these other stunned players play together very recently. Um, so again, and, and by the way, I believe Kurt, Kurt Miller said that John Cole Jones was a strong advocate for Courtney Williams returning. So I, that's, that's always cool. You know, when you're, when your star player likes your, like your, likes your other players. So uh, it's interesting because I, I feel like in theory, Courtney Williams fills what the sun were lacking last season but does she really, I, I know you, I know you want to go off on this, so you can go ahead.
1: Oh, I mean, I don't, I don't even really have too much to say. Um, it's, I understand the appeal of this move, right? We, the thing that we've all been talking about for the sun and kind of their, uh, their weakness in, in all the things that they do well is, is a guard that can give you a little bit of, of self-creation, right? A little bit more kind of punch of perimeter scoring, someone who can create a shot can do something off the bounce, uh, Courtney Williams can do something off the bounce, but I, I don't think it's, it's really... It's going to end in a mid-range jumper. It's Yeah, is that, is that thing off the bounce any good, right? 48% true shooting, 25% usage. Is that going to kind of elevate your chances at the highest level? I mean, when you look at the other options, you know, Breon January signed for out of their price range. The other option is is maybe a player, Hawaii floated out, Odyssey Sims, a player who can't shoot as well as as Courtney Williams, but gives you really, really good paint penetration for a guard in the league, you know, for all the things we do, maybe don't like about Odyssey Sims game, She, she does do that, which is what the team needs, uh, or a thing that the team needs, but you know, this is still probably, I guess, as good as you could have expected to do with the limited resources you had to do them. Do you think this team is better or worse than they were in 2022?
0: I think they're better but not necessarily because... I think they're better because they're going to get a full season of healthy Alyssa Thomas. Uh, I I think if you look at it, it's they get a little bit better offensively and a little bit worse defensively, simply put.
1: Yeah, that's probably true. And this is kind of like the the dream roster construction back in that offseason before 2020 when they originally signed DeWanna Bonner. You know, when Jasmine Thomas and Jonquo Jones and Alyssa Thomas, they were all on, on smaller contracts, you know, this is kind of what you were hoping you'd be able to work out um courtney williams of course did what players should do and and got her maximum earning potential in that offseason rather than kind of taking a, a haircut but you know she's also maybe just not not as good frankly as she was dwana Bonner certainly isn't the player that she was you know 2 years ago i don't right. think um so yeah, I think I think it's fair to think that they'll be a better team, but they certainly won't have a better better regular season, right? They're not going to be you know a plus ten or higher net rating, just absolutely crushing teams with this one specific identity. But they also are not you know uh, as uh, Actually, I don't want to out the person that that says this, but they're not a meme team anymore. You know, they they have different... With, with Alyssa Thomas back in the fold, with Courtney Williams there, they don't have to just kind of stick to this one bruising style of...
0: They're not one-dimensional.
1: Yeah, exactly. They're not one-dimensional, although this this other dimension may not be as as effective as they I, think it I is. Think, Steven, I, I think,
0: Stephen, I think if there's one thing the Sun will be able to do this year that they couldn't do last year is play with pace. Uh, and, you know, pace, that's... You, you know my my thoughts on that term, but in, 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 in this uh, context they're going to be able to get out and run and get those easy transition baskets or fouls drawn <laughs> um, a lot more than they did last season. And that's going to add that extra dimension to this team. Um,
1: that, I think, can, I, can I just jump in? The last time yeah. that this was a good offense, it was when Alyssa Thomas and Courtney Williams and Shaquina Strickland, for what it's worth, were kind of the foundation of that transition offense. So if they're able to get back to that a little bit more, I think it could result in some good things. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So I, I think um, if I'm a Sun fan, I'm still pretty happy about this year's uh, this year's team. It's interesting because, like, you look at this year's Sun team, it's like, well, that's a free agency period because, like, I don't think they can do much else. Um, I think the Sun are still going to be a top-four team in the regular season. But when you talk about are they going to be better or worse than last season, I think you also need to consider that a few other teams are going to be better than they were last season, too. So that needs to be taken into account.
1: Uh, and I, I know I just said that the last time they were a good offense. I know that they were a great statistical offense This year, but we saw kind of the the limitations of that in the playoffs. Um, Yeah, but I agree with you. This team, I think you can comfortably, maybe not comfortably. I'd have to think about it more. But I would imagine that there would be a a top four team here. So,
0: okay. So I guess the next thing we should talk about is uh, a piece of news that broke while we were recording. Actually, Um, a big trade: Uh, Sparks acquiring Kennedy Carter from the Atlanta Dream in exchange for Erica Wheeler, Um, also sending uh, this year's second round pick in a twenty twenty three first-round pick over to the Atlanta Dream. This seems like a pretty big one.
1: Yeah, this is a big deal for, for both sides. You know, for Atlanta, it seems like kind of a, a culture reset. I think it was important for them to to clean house, you know, moving on from Courtney Williams and Crystal Bradford. Um, you know, bringing back a couple of the, the big players from last year, important pieces of their rotation. But uh, it, it seemed like perhaps the Carter-Dream relationship was beyond repair.
0: Yeah, I think that goes without saying. I'm not typically one who likes to discuss off-court stuff or uh, or speculate on what goes on behind closed doors, but I mean when you when a player gets suspended by the team for half the season and there's never an explanation, and then you've got players subtweeting each other like months after the facts. I think that's probably a bad sign. So, just my opinion.
1: So, this is a not insignificant price to pay for Kennedy Carter, uh, a very high second round pick, a first round pick next year that, as many have noted, has uh, a lot of upside, a capable contributor in Erica Wheeler. How are you feeling about having, if we come to the conclusion that Atlanta made up its mind that that they were moving on from Carter, how do you feel about this return?
0: I think it's a great return uh, because... from my perspective, like how I interpreted this, I, I think they may have been trying to move Kennedy Carter and haven't really, weren't really able to do so, like find a taker for her um, until the Sparks came along and said, hey, we need to clear some cap space. We'll we'll, t- we'll take Carter from you. And this, the are like, okay, we'll give us your first run pick in 2023. And for a team that, for a franchise that is clearly rebuilding, uh, resetting, if you will, from a cultural perspective, this is exactly what they needed. Um, Another first-round pick in a really, really good draft in 2023. And, you know, just just leaving their options open. I I think uh, draft capital is always important to have if you're a rebuilding team, obviously. But this kind of, it doesn't lock the dream into any really bad contracts long-term. Yeah, they do get Erica Wheeler, but I believe her contract is up at the end of the year anyway, so that doesn't really matter for the team's trajectory. So I like it for Atlanta.
1: Yeah, and they have... Quite a bit of draft capital moving forward now um, with their own lottery pick this year. Two of the top four picks in the uh, the second round as well. And then, of course, their own first in L.A.'s first next year for L.A., I guess. This is, I think, a worthwhile move, even if you are a little bit more cautious about kind of the, the off-court stuff with Kennedy Carter. But, you know, this is a, a team coming into the offseason for the Sparks, who— They had this, you know, they were coming into the second year of this two-year window of these, uh, you know, with all the the vets. They had six protected contracts coming in. They weren't really, it looked like they weren't really going to be able to make much maneuvering to bring in any additional high-ceiling talent to put around some of their uh, franchise cornerstones. And the highest possible ceiling for that group was, in my opinion, not really that, that high. Not very high, no. Yeah. And to turn that into a young player that I personally am very high on. I, I think I had Carter number five when we did our prospect rankings a couple weeks ago. And in my opinion, has all league guard potential and she's still on her rookie deal for two more seasons. Um, yeah, there, there's tremendous upside in, in giving up that first round pick in a draft that has a lot of, you know, franchise or at least a couple franchise cornerstone type talents in 2023. But, you know, most of the time when you you have a first-round pick. You hope to get a Kennedy Carter-type player. So, you know, the Erica Wheeler part of it, like, I I think Kennedy Carter is just going to give you a better chance to drive efficient offense than Erica Wheeler is going to. And the other part of their, I guess, recent transactions in terms of, you know, freeing up the, the space and the available veteran protected contracts that they want to free up, clearly— flipping Gabby Williams, who, you know, never ended up playing a game for the Sparks for Katie Lou Samuelson in a first round pick. Like we we talked earlier in the show how we didn't really care for that move for Seattle. Well, that must mean that we like it for L.A. I mean, not, not necessarily, but in this case, I think it means that for L.A. to, I think, turn turn Gabby Williams, a player who probably would have had some pretty decent success doing what she does well in L.A., But they don't really need Gabby Williams' skill set, in my opinion, as much as they need Katie Lou Samuelson's skill set. And they got a player who is much less expensive and allowed them to do some other things in free agency and got a first-round pick of it. Uh, Within, you know, uh, all those things, I think, you know, a couple really nice trades for L.A., in my opinion.
0: Yeah, L.A.'s having a good offseason. First of all, I I totally agree with you that last year's Sparks team didn't really have that high of a ceiling. Uh, you know they they didn't have very good injury luck uh, with both the Gumake sisters missing significant amount of time. But I think even if the Guma-Ks, uh were healthy the entire season, that wasn't a a, a deep playoff team. You know uh, this is a way of not only freeing up cap space um, for a max contract free agent, which I think we all know who it is. Um, but it does it, it, they're taking a swing on a dynamic young guard who does have a lot of potential, as you said. If you look at last year's Sparks offense, it was so. I mean, you said it wasn't efficient. Um, they were running small lineups, but they still weren't scoring. I think it was the number part,
1: twelve offense in the league, to be
0: clear. Yeah. So um, you can't be worse than number twelve in a twelve-team league. I think a, a major part of that was they just didn't really have any players who could take, who could force defenses out of their shells. You know, there there is no there are no players who could really create shots for others. Nobody forced defenses to rotate to make adjustments. Uh, Kennedy Carter is a very, very good drill penetration guard, and she's a very good pick-and-roll guard. So even her presence alone is going to open up a lot of things for the Sparks offense, particularly with the K sisters back healthy. Then you add in Christy Tolliver, a really good uh, outside shooter, still one of the better one-on-one players in the league, I believe. Kitty Samuelson, who at least needs to get guarded from behind the three-point line, and the potential to add a an elite center, who I think we know all know who that is, who's going to command double teams, um, the Sparks offense is suddenly looking a lot better than it was last year.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, I don't think I'm quite as high as the folks that are, you know, the highest, I guess, among kind of, you know, people that are talking about the Sparks team as, as a potential championship contender. But
0: um, I wouldn't go that far. Yeah,
1: I, I think they're, they're still, you know, pretty comfortably below some of the best teams in the league. Um, but they have a real building block for the— future and they're going to be a lot better than they would have been if they hadn't made these moves. And, you know, I think we could see this as like a, a really, really tough out as sort of like a middle seated playoff team, if, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I think the only drawback is that the the backcourt defense is going to get a little bit worse, if not a lot worse. But as we always say, you know, like interior defense and help defense is more important than perimeter on-ball defense. So I think... The the Sparks, you know, if there's one thing they did last season, they really, really got after it on defense. They really established a defensive culture. So I think that's one thing that can kind of carry over, even if you're exchanging a couple parts there. So we'll see what happens on that front. But if I'm a Sparks fan, I'm absolutely elated at what the team is doing this offseason.
1: Yep, I agree. And then from the the Dream perspective, you know, I had uh, tweeted out in the immediate aftermath that I loved this move for the the sparks and you had responded that you love this move for Ari mcdonald i do is Ari mcdonald like the the type of player that you make a move like this for is she a franchise cornerstone in your opinion
0: i don't know about franchise cornerstone but i I just looked at like full disclosure i'm an Ari mcdonald fan i love her game in college i love how she plays both ends of the floor and i think she's one of those players who can draw fans to to watch her play She's, she's an exciting player um Who's got a lot of potential both on and off the court? I, I that tweet was more so just for irrigating her opportunity rather than you know the tree, the dream building around her. I don't think she's going to be like an MVP in this league or anything. But um, when I looked at McDonald last season, it was like they spent a lottery pick on her when they already had that position pretty much loaded with with Carter and Sims. And then even after Carter was suspended, um, you still had Sims uh, playing on a. On an unprotected expiring contract, on a team that wasn't going anywhere. And McDonald was really having a tough time establishing your. I mean, Blake Dietrich was
1: like getting more minutes than Ari McDonald. Yeah, Dietrich was. Yeah, years. it's like, I didn't
0: understand that process by Atlanta. Now I think, now that the dust has kind of settled there, now McDonald emerges as, okay, this is the player who they're, who they're looking to, to captain their ship. Um, and I'm just excited to see how that unfolds. I'm, I'm sure there will be growing pains, as there is for any young point guard, really, but. I think uh, McDonald has a lot of room to grow in this league, and I'm happy to see her get this opportunity.
1: So, for the rest of the Dreams offseason so far, you know they brought back Tiffany Hayes on a one year deal. They brought back Monique Billings on a one year protected deal. They brought back also um, uh, after a little bit of an absence Nia Coffey on a one year deal. They did pick a lot up out of one year deals. Yeah, which I think is is strategic. That I think there's a reason they're they're doing that. I, I wonder if they did kind of go. And check in on some of the the higher, you know, the more marquee free agents. And then once those, once that didn't materialize, they they kind of went the more one year route. They they did pick up Megan Walker off waivers. Uh, they traded a third round pick for Kia Vaughn. Um, what what's been I guess notable for you for this off so far? Where should we start?
0: I believe the first move that was reported or that came out was the Nia Coffee deal. Correct. To, um, to
1: my memory, that was the first one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that was that's a nice move, you know, but it's not really that exciting to me. I think I would have been more excited if it was Nia Coffee signing to a contending team. I think she's a nice piece and she did improve significantly this season, so so kudos to her and kudos to the Sparks coaching staff for getting that out of her. But I don't know. I, I I'm with you that, see... that she
1: does seem a little bit more um of a floor raiser. I mean as of a ceiling raiser than a floor raiser. Like what is she really doing for a bad team?
0: I don't know. And and honestly, like, this isn't me hating or anything like that, but I could see her regressing a little bit on this year's Atlanta team just because, Like, like, well, first of all, what is her role? You figure she's going to be more of a 3 than a 4 in this lineup, and I think she's better suited to the 4, at least offensively. I I don't really have much of an opinion, do you?
1: Yeah, I think I I was pretty excited when this deal came out just because I thought it was kind of a precursor of of things to come. Although I did did think that it was, like, sort of weird that this was, like, kind of the first deal, really, that was – I mean, all of, like – the first half dozen things that were reported, it seemed like we're were coming from Atlanta, but you know, to one year protected, I think Nia coffee, like you're saying, there's a chance that she comes out of this next season, not looking at as good as she did in coming out of last season because of the ecosystem that this is going to be. And and perhaps she will be like, I was more excited about this when I thought that she'd be playing like the starting power forward for them, but I'm Mm -hmm. not sure if that's going to be the case necessarily, but you know, I, I do wish that either, I don't know, she went to a, a different team or Atlanta made some other moves that really made me a little bit more encouraged about her role there. But I, I don't know.
0: Because they, they, they also brought Beth Billings for also one year and just a little bit more money. Um, but she was a restricted free agent.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So so when you compare those two, I mean, I, I think Coffee is a, a better player that does more valuable things uh, in terms of, I think she's a better defender. She can obviously space the floor more. She has more positional versatility that can play the three or the four. And I, I just kind of wonder, like, maybe this was just a solid for a player that they really like uh, in their organization. But, like, who were they outbidding for Monique Billings to give her a protected deal and potentially kind of remove themselves from being able to make too many more of, like, the Kennedy Carter type trades where you're taking in a protected salary in exchange for some pretty good draft capital.
0: Yeah. I, I think this Billings deal was just something like, okay, we need something to sell. We need something to sell tickets this season. Billings is obviously a fan favorite in Atlanta. She's from all accounts, a good locker room presence. She's somebody who the fans really watching something that just occurred to me, Stephen, regarding restricted free agency. Have we heard about any teams offering like making offer sheets that were matched by the by the previous teams have we no I,
1: I don't think there have been any offer sheets signed yeah, that's, so far that, that's
0: interesting that's very interesting because um, because you raised a good question who are they bidding against for billings
1: and i think I, it, I it was kind of like a an ongoing theme in, in restricted free agency in a lot of ways uh the one restricted free agent or i guess a couple restricted free agents were were on the move into shields and the reports of jordan canada also changing teams but those were not you know, offer sheets necessarily. It sounds like Jordan Canada had her qualifying offer rescinded, but we can get to that when we know some more concrete details about her deal with the Sparks. But, you know, just overall for this dream team, I think I'm just a little bit lower on the the trade because I like Kennedy Carter a lot. But, you know, if you are going to move on from it, this is not the, the worst deal you could have, you know, come to. They, they got a veteran who's not going to kill you out there i don't think really erica wheeler is going to help keep them out of the lottery in fact i think wheeler helps them perhaps uh in their attempts to win the lottery and kind of build their draft and stuff like that so i do think this is kind of one of those rosters with like a few decent players on it you know players that can contribute in certain roles but maybe not the roles that we put in on this team that you know kind of initiates the rebuild they have capable players but they don't have anything kind of keeping them out of the lottery i guess but i could i could be wrong maybe it all gels together
0: I think Steven I think this is the this is the uh kind of in-between year for the dream where they like they're like making moves this offseason to make them appear like they're competing but in reality they're getting ready for a long rebuild. I think they're going to be better like there's a possibility that they're better this year than they are next year. But this year is going to be a lot less exciting than it is next year as far as trajectory of the franchise, you know? Like they got all these veterans on one-year deals. Some of them are almost certainly not going to be back. Like I don't think I don't think they're going to keep Vaughn. I don't think they're gonna keep Wheeler like 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 these are rentals just to fill out the roster while they plan for the future and, and overhaul things. But that's the reality reality of rebuilds. You know, before you go scorched earth, you need to at least have some kind of transition period, and that's where this is going, in my opinion.
1: Well, speaking of transition period, let's move on to the New York Liberty, who are trying to uh, end their hybrid rebuild. Uh, they brought in. <laughs> Steph Dolson on a two-year protected deal, and then they waived Jasmine Jones and Leotta Odom to make room to re-sign Rebecca Allen on a, a two-year deal. What do you think about these two moves?
0: I really like them. Um, I'm not sure how much, well, I, I, first, th- first, first first things first, I think the Liberty need more if they're gonna be competing. Um, I agree with you. But that doesn't mean I, I, I can't like the moves themselves. I particularly like the Dolson move. I think she's a great fit in New York particularly with uh, their guards, with UNESCO and Woodcomb in particular. You, you mentioned it all the time when she was in Chicago. The off-ball chemistry she had with Allie Quigley is really, was really, really solid. I, I can see her establishing a similar uh, screener to off-ball shooter chemistry with Sammy Woodcomb. And then she gives UNESCO a screener which New York just didn't have last off-season um
1: they had no one that could set a screen uh no. and dulcet and is one of the best in the league no
0: no 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 one who could set a screen and that that's 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 a bad thing you know i mean that's not something that really shows up in the box score individually but i mean it does show up in the box score because your guards can't get into the paint and you can't run an effective
1: pick and roll so and they led the league in turnovers which that that's yes. a factor
0: also not a good thing um also you know she provides some some flexibility next to natasha howard i think i think you like do you like natasha howard at, at the five
1: I mean, I, I think it usually would work better than going with Howard at the four. But okay,
0: but that not always, though.
1: Not always, for sure. But you this know, also, this doesn't solve any of the Natasha-Howard-at-the-five problems. Like, you still don't have one of those centers to guard... Uh, Sylvia Fowles or Brittany Griner. Right, you know your rebounding isn't necessarily going to uh, be a whole lot better. Like you're not you're going to
0: be fouling a lot. You're
1: not going to have increased rim protection. So really, I mean, you're you're playing two bigs, and, and oddly enough, it may still even help your spacing and your offense. But the the returns of playing two bigs defensively and all the things that you you know, are weary of, not you specifically, but, you know, the collective you are weary of, of Howard at the five, like those answers aren't really, or or those aren't really answered, I guess.
0: Well, if you're looking for a big to guard Sylvia Fowles in this free agency class, you might be disappointed. Yeah, there's not a lot of them. (laughs) I get, I get what you're saying. No, That's a valid point. That's a valid point. Um, Which is kind of why I said in the first place, like I like these moves, but they need more.
1: Yeah, I like them too. And, you know, I think we had even talked about earlier in the off off season, like if you are, the Liberty, would you rather have Dolson or Rebecca Allen? And Both. Um, you know, they obviously weren't able to land one of the superstar free agents, so they were able to to get both. And I think, you know, Jazz Jones and Liana Odom, a couple of fan favorites favorites for the Liberty, Jones in particular. You know, it's just the cost of kind of uh, getting more expensive players on your roster. But, you know, the thing I, I think I keep coming back to, and I, I agree with you, I like the Dolson signing. I think she's a great fit offensively. Rebecca Allen is a much needed, you know, dead-eye shooter for this team, uh, and, you know, a defensive playmaker in, in her own right. But I think the thing I keep coming back to as much as I like both of these signings is really, you know, you've added one more good player from the second worst team in the league last year from a net rating standpoint, if you aren't able to bring back Marine Johannes. So you're you're counting on Jocelyn Willoughby and Asia Durr, and then some, I guess, uh, internal improvements from some of the other end of the bench players. And, you know, if you don't get that I think that's kind of asking a lot or or at least it's a considerable question mark considering you know Durr has missed two years Willoughby coming off a very very serious injury you know I wasn't I guess I never really got on board the Willoughby train during the bubble season but enough smart people like her that that I'm willing to just kind of you know give it the benefit of the doubt here but if those things don't really kind of come around then you have you know seven good players instead of six good players like you had last year
0: no, I agree, and I'm a Willow Leaf fan, but I, I agree. She should be looking over her shoulder, as should you know, D.D. Richards, Kylie Shook, maybe even Hanju. I mean, I don't, I don't even know if Hanju is going to show up this year. But I mean, just looking at their depth chart, they still need more, particularly in the front court and uh, and defensively. So it, it's a nice start. It's it's a nice start. And one more off-season. impact
1: guard. You know, they would need one more impact guard and one more impact big and one more impact. Boy-
0: That's simple, right? Uh, Man, I really really hope Aja Dura is healthy and and can play because that that would be a huge boost to the team. And that is the definition of internal improvement, you know?
1: Uh, Anything else on the Liberty or should we move on to the Washington Mystics? Let's move on to the Mystics. Some interesting stuff here. They're in a position where they
0: couldn't really, I don't believe, afford to bring back all of their free agents and they did not. The one free agent, I think, let's let's talk about this first. The one free agent that they brought back was Maisha Hines-Allen who secured the bag. As they say, three years protected, 170, $175,000, and 180000 hundred eighty thousand, respectively, over those three years.
1: I, I know you know you're not the the biggest kind of uh, cap guy, but do you, is that higher or lower than what you were expecting for Heinz Allen?
0: You know, taking into account the Mystic situation, I'm not surprised by it. Um, I I think, and and I I always say I hesitate to use these terms, but I think it is a bit of an overpay relative to relative speaking. to the hard cap as, as we yes. know
1: all of these players are underpaid but you are looking at a hard cap here and what you pay certain players limits what you can do otherwise
0: yeah exactly and the mystics had to do this they might not like doing it because but i mean let's let's look at who else i mean it's pretty obvious that tina charles wasn't coming back and looking at emma miseman i mean so the choice is basically between miseman and heinz allen right I don't know what happened with Miesemann I mean with the Mystics. I don't know if she was non-committal coming back. I don't know if Belgium said, we don't want her playing for you anymore, or she's not going to play for you this year. Whatever the situation was, it seems to me like the Mystics were kind of, their hand was kind of forced into locking up Heinz Allen. Then Heinz Allen's camp said, okay, we well, better take her for three years guaranteed then.
1: Yeah, I think there's, I guess I'm a little bit surprised that there wasn't like the full lower maximum offer out there for Heinz Allen, even though... I am not the biggest Heinz Allen fan. I don't really think she's going to. Do you think some other team offered her more? No, I don't think so. I think from where she is in, in her career, at this point, as a restricted free agent, you kind of, you know, as someone that has a little bit of like star branding to them a little bit, like you kind of take the maximum earnings, I think. But but maybe, I don't know. But, you know, you would think that she would just take that and see if Washington would match. Because like you're saying, sure. it would be a kind of a disaster even if they have the number one pick and Elena Don feels healthy and stuff like that, but to lose all three of Heinz Allen, Misaman and Charles in one offseason to not be able to retain any of them, you know, I feel like maybe Maisha Heinz Allen would have kind of uh, forced their hand a little bit more. But So they bring in Heinz Allen. They also bring in Elizabeth Williams. Big fan, both of us are, uh, of Elizabeth Williams for sure. They do have the number one pick. It looks like, you know, a, a pretty decent starting point of a good team here. Uh, a lot of defensive talent surrounding a couple... Offensive minded power forwards and Deladon and Heinz Allen. I do think, though, that like Deladon is going to have to be really, really good, one of the best players in the world for this to be a decent offense. I think when you kind of look around how, how much of this is sort of uh, defense focused in this lineup.
0: Well, she is when she's healthy, but unfortunately, we haven't seen that in a while. Um, I, I think I agree. I mean, they're, they are a bad luck Elena Deladon injury or absence away from not being a very good offense. Being a really winner, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. But the thing is, like, I think they have a lot of good offensive players in their in their particular roles. And we always talk about Atkins being a star in her role. They're getting Alicia Clark back in her role, so the defensive versatility they're gonna have on the perimeter. They're probably is getting awesome. Ryan
1: Howard, I would imagine.
0: Probably getting if they choose to draft Ryan Howard, that's a lot of defensive versatility out there. Um, and then you're adding Williams, um, a former All Defensive player, who I think this this move could who could reinvigorate her career. I mean, she went from playing with a team with no shooters to a team with a lot of shooters. She went to a team where the guards actually passed the ball, um, playing alongside several elite per- perimeter defenders. And Atkins, Clark, Cloud—they're um, still going to be undersized in the front court against the league's best centers. And I don't think there's really know any-, any way around that. But they're going to have a lot of switchability. But,
1: but you know there. what, Eric? Like DeLaDon has has held up at the five in the in playoff yes. series against you know maybe not follows Griner, but against Candace Parker, against Asia Wilson, like she's had good defensive playoff series against those types of players.
0: She's a good matchup against, against the rangy forwards. I agree with that. Um, And, and you, you talk about the whole, the whole five out stuff. She's obviously a tremendous, um, maybe the ideal fit in one of those lineups, but again, health, health willing, we'll, we'll, we'll see where she's at. So yeah, I I'm just wondering, is Heinz Allen a player you can really build around with this type of contract? Cause I'm not seeing it.
1: I mean, I don't think so. Like, if you if you look at kind of the starting lineup you, you laid out, like, or... Is she even going to be starting? I mean, I don't... I don't so. well, well, here's what I'm saying. Like, Cloud Atkins, let's say Ryan Howard or Alicia Clark, Elizabeth Williams. Like, you throw Elena Deladon as a fifth starter, and I think you can still have, like, probably a pretty good offense because Elena Deladon just is a good offense within herself. If that's Myesha Hines-Allen, like, I think it's, it's a downgrade defensively, uh, for sure, and and it's such a massive downgrade, I think, offensively. You know, maybe Heinz Allen can still herself put up decent numbers, but, like, she's not commanding what Elena Deladon commands. Like, I don't think that lineup with maisha Heinz Allen is a good offensive lineup, but it is with Deladon.
0: Okay, that, that's well put. So, yeah, I, we're in agreement. This is a uh... They're surrounding DelaDon with interesting fits, both offensively and defensively, but it's all going to revolve around her. So
1: I do kind of like the concept of like, okay, Elena DelaDon is going to be the one that drives efficient offense for us, and we're just going to surround that with a massive amount of defensive talent and players that can finish plays and shoot and you know, um, you know, break down a, a closeout on on the secondary side and stuff like that. It, it, I mean, they're going to
0: have a clear identity on both ends of the floor, right? I, I so, think so. Yeah, yeah, it should be an interesting team to to watch come together here.
1: All right, let's move on to the Minnesota Lynx here. Not a whole lot of news items for them, but they did uh, re-sign Sylvia Falls for her final season. And uh, with the uh, haircut that that Falls uh, took for the franchise as, uh, I guess, a thank you or uh, who knows why, but she's uh, free to make her own decisions, they were able to sign Angel McCautry as well for a one-year deal. Um, What do you think about Angel McCautry's fit on this team, Eric? I'm
0: still not sure. I'm still not sure. Of course, she proved both of us wrong in in Las Vegas a couple years ago, but... That was a serious knee injury ago. And I don't know, where what 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 kind of role is she gonna be filling? Obviously Nafisa Collier expecting her first child. We don't know when she's coming back or or if she's coming back this season. I believe she's due in May.
1: Is that is that what it is? I don't um, know. I thought it was later than that, but um oh, I'm not maybe. the person to uh,
0: but regardless, regardless. I don't know, is what what is Angel Kamakarche gonna to bring to this team? Because we know they're gonna, they're still gonna try to get the ball to fouls in the post as, as often as possible. Um, we know Kayla McBride and Ariel Powers are going to get their fair share of shots up. So once again, I mean, I guess the question goes back to once again, can Angel McCawtry play within or not? Not be a high usage player in, in an egalitarian kind of offense like this. I mean, she was in Las Vegas in the bubble season, but again, that was two years and a serious knee injury ago. So and
1: playing twenty minutes a game.
0: Yeah, very serious uh, minutes restriction as well. Which so, you
1: know, f- uh, Cheryl Reeve kind of said that she was going to try to do this a similar thing with Sylvia Falls, and you know, the, the, and then
0: and then she was just like, yeah, that doesn't work. Yeah, it just
1: um, it turns out they don't, they're not able to kind of pull that off. So I wonder if, but, An- I wonder if Angel will will be able to kind of say on a similar program, or you know, if it's just going to kind of be all out for what could you know, potentially I think be she Angel's will. last season. I think she will
0: because at least in in um, McBride and Powers, you have. Two more than serviceable other players you can throw out there at the wing. You know, you you can't. Part of the reason you can't put Sylvia Fowles on a minutes limit is because there's no depth there at that position. Um, and what Sylvia Fowles brings is irreplaceable. Whereas Powers and McBride, you know, they both have their own strengths, and you could theoretically run a pretty darn good three-player wing rotation out there with McCauley, McBride, and Powers.
1: Yeah, and I think Angel could potentially have a, a really nice season for them. I think they are probably still like. I just don't think Angel McCarter does the thing that they needed the most, which is like create really efficient offense for other people. Like, uh, in terms of the wing that you can kind of get the ball and in, into their hands, and you know, Angel McCarter, I think at this point in her career, even with Vegas, was like a really, really great play finisher. And I, I'm not sure that's necessarily kind of their biggest need.
0: What do you think their biggest need is?
1: You know, someone who can kind of really create for both themselves and others. Uh, I think, yeah. but but you know, maybe between Angel and, and a full season of Clarendon if they're able to bring Clarendon back. But, I mean, if they are missing Nafisa Collier, then it's probably all moot and they don't really have championship uh, aspirations. I mean, I'm sure they'll say that they do, but uh, Collier is just such a huge piece of what they do. So, who knows? But, I mean, it almost certainly means that Collier is going to be playing more at the four, if, if nothing else.
0: He has to. I has to. I'm guessing it's too late to unload that Ochano contract.
1: I think so. I, mean, I-, I-, I don't I- really think there's just anywhere for it to, to go.
0: Um, I mean, I was looking at the bad teams and their salary cap, but I don't think that would be worth it for them. Um, it, it, I mean, really, think, like looking at the at the Lynx uh, salary information, which is on her hoop stats, by the way, great resource. If Bridget Carlton becomes a salary cap casualty, I, I'd be pretty upset if I was a Lynx fan because I don't know. I think she's a really good fit. You know, I, I believe Keith Youngblood, uh, I believe that's who it was, of the Star Tribune said they're looking to bring back, back both Clarendon and uh, Rachel Bannum didn't say in what in what capacity but the books are getting pretty tight there
1: yeah uh if if they end up going with rachel banham and um and jessica shepherd and bridget carlton ends up being the cap casualty i I think that would be a mistake but let's move on to uh the final team we'll be touching on here the las vegas aces who are pretty much kind of just running it back sans liz cambage they are i think going with a uh, an addition by subtraction approach eric
0: i mean right now they're replacing liz cambage with kia stokes so I'm not sure if that if how that's gonna work out I, I really hope Becky Hammond just commits to a smaller lineup and starts both Wilson and Hamby at the at the five and the four um, and just commits to this fast-paced small ball lineup um Obviously I think Plum Kelsey Plum and Asia Wilson are gonna get more room to operate but I was really hoping you know the Aces well as a Sky fan, I wasn't hoping but I was I was kind of expecting the Aces to go hard against uh, hard after one of the bigger name free agents like maybe, Tiffany Hayes or Tina Charles, maybe they did. You know, I don't know, but it just seems like this starting lineup is is missing something. Is you know, missing another really good offensive player. Maybe I've just become spoiled to the Aces having a stacked roster in recent years, but this seems far from the shoe in to be a top seed like the team was recently.
1: Yeah, I think I'm still pretty high on on what they can do in the regular like
0: season. Like more Kelsey like like more Kelsey Plum is not a bad thing. I don't I don't want to give that impression at all. I think she She should have more room to operate, but I mean, they're just not as, they just don't don't seem as star-studded as they were in previous seasons.
1: Yeah, perhaps not. And, you know, I wonder if they will commit to playing, you know, to starting Asia and Hamby together at the two big spots. I wonder if they'll start Raquana Williams and Kelsey Plum and uh, Chelsea Gray all together. I guess I I wonder if they'll start their five best players for like the first time. It's a novel idea. And it is um, pretty, pretty interesting there. But even still, like you know, I think they were one of the best teams in the league last year. I think the people that are really excited in favor of the Aces that Cambage is gone, you know, I, I think that might be a little bit misguided. But but let, let's talk about what they actually did. They did sign a restricted free agent, their franchise player, of course, Asia Wilson, to a two-year, fully protected, uh, maximum contract at the lower max number that was the highest number uh, that she could sign for as a restricted free agent. And then they brought back Raquina Williams on a uh, a hefty salary increase, uh, but two unprotected seasons for Raquina Williams. And, you know, frankly, what she did on the court, I, I think she kind of deserved uh, a big increase. She had a great season last sure. year. And then signing Kia Stokes um, for for one year. I do kind of think they'll probably just start Kia Stokes and bring Hamby off the bench, uh, continue to do that, but hopefully not.
0: I, I think that would really be, that'd be really putting themselves into a box. I, I think that'd be what do I want to say? I think they'd be creating a weakness that they don't really need to create, but we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, we'll get more into it when we do our, our team outlooks here. But um, is that it? Uh, should we wrap up? Yeah, let's wrap it up. Okay, great. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, I think this will end up being a bit of a longer one here, but you know, I think worth it after we had some time off. If you want to support the show, you can subscribe, rate, and review. On Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcast Manager. You can follow the show on Twitter at Double Down WMBA. You can follow Eric at Nemchalk E and myself at Trinkwald. And uh, we will speak to you next time we record.
0: All right. Take care, everyone.